Not all wounds are meant to heal. This week I was uh, listening to a TED Talk and a lady by the name of Nora shares her story as she uh, lost her husband and then uh, within the same year lost her father. Um, And in that time frame also a child that was to be born uh, also was lost. And she shares of a grief that really hits her hard. And she shares this in a TED Talk where she says, not all wounds are meant to heal. And the question becomes, is that true for us, where there are certain things that we'll go through that will just stay with us forever? Uh, She goes on to say, grief is something you don't move on from, but it's something you move forward with. And for some of us right now, maybe you're, you're in a situation where you could say, that has to be true. I can't imagine where I fell in love and I thought this love would last forever, but now I'm picking up the pieces of a divorce. Where you had a dream. I have a friend who made one mistake where he found himself in prison and now he will never have the opportunity where he wanted to go into the military. That dream is gone because of one mistake. Or maybe you have a loved one that you watched battle cancer day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out. Like that, that stays with you. Is, so is grief something that we just carry for the rest of our lives? You know, uh, it, it's interesting when it comes to grief, often we look at grief as this, this idea of we just move on from. Like if I were to say it this way, like if you invited me to uh, your, your, you just had a child, you're so excited, you invited me to their birthday, like we're going to party, right? We're going to have a good time, life, like what a blessing it is, all this stuff. But if you called me five years later and said, hey, it's their fifth birthday, we're going to have a celebration. And my response is like, dude, seriously, like move on, like get over it. That's old news now. Like, that seems crazy that we would say that, but when it comes to grief, often that's exactly what we say. Like, at some point, you just got to move on from it. So is grief something that we are stuck with forever? Is it something that we carry? And today, I want to I read a section of scripture, and I just want you to be able to hear these words so you can just listen right now as we read this section, and then we'll start to look at it more. But it's found in John chapter 16, and it starts at verse 20. And it says this, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the father directly and he will grant your request because you use my name. Would you join me in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, God, God, I pray right now for each one of us that your word would just become very true in our lives that you would speak directly to our situation, that, that you would get rid of every other thing or obstacle, that we could just hear your words, see what that means for us. God, that we would wrestle even with this reality of grief and what it means and how we carry that and what that looks like in our life. God, that you would speak through me, that your words would be true. It's in Jesus' name we say, amen. Uh, so, 
we're in a conversation and uh, uh, the goal of our church often is every year we, uh, we look at a book of the Bible, maybe depending on the size of it, we'll look at a couple different ones throughout the year and we go what, chapter by chapter where we like to just take it a chapter at a time and really start to see what God is saying because often I believe uh, you need a chapter to be able to give you a little more context of what's occurring and happening because sometimes I got no problem with it but if you just like the verse of the day kind of thing, you can feel really good it's like oh Jesus loves you but the one right before it said like step your game up and be a real Christian and you're like well you didn't read that one like so context is important right we want to make sure we get the so that's why we do that every year we look at a book and we go chapter by chapter and this year we've been going through the gospel of John and I love the gospel of John because John really works hard at making sure the reader understands the lordship of Jesus like you don't miss Jesus, not just his ministry, but who he really is. So the, the only thing that's happened is over the, the last month or so, uh, we were supposed to hop in and get through a couple more chapters, but some things happened in my life where I wasn't here. So we've taken a longer break than uh, we anticipated. So uh, with that, I want to share uh, an, a reminder, a refresher of the gospel of John thus far. So John chapter one starts out with this in the beginning he, he he connects it to genesis and he says was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and he starts to display hey that jesus guy he is lord so he starts that off right from the beginning but then in chapter two we immediately then see uh this wedding that jesus attends and his mom is like, hey, we ran out of wine. And he's like, this isn't my problem, mom. But then he performs his first miracle, some of y'all's favorite miracle. He turns water into wine. And then the party goes. And even in that, he's showing that Jesus brings lasting joy. But then he, he meets a guy named Nicodemus. And he talks to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, man, how do I like, have this type of uh, Christian following like how does my life look and he explains to Nicodemus you need to be born again and Nicodemus in that moment is like so confused he's like how can that happen you can't be born twice but Jesus is speaking of a salvation born again the a dying of yourself and a renewal of your life and then he continues on and he speaks to a Samaritan woman and the Samaritan woman is uh, she's been married multiple times and uh, he meets her and he talks with her and he shares with her uh, of what really needs to occur. And he shares with her this. He says, I'm the living water. See, she went to go get some water and he connects it and he says, the living water you've been seeking and you've, you've been married multiple times trying to find uh, fulfillment in a different person and what you need to do is find fulfillment in Christ. And then he, uh, he goes to uh, this location where uh, all the crippled, all the struggling people would be at the pools of Bethsaida. And he meets a person there who's crippled for most of his life. And he meets him and he brings this healing connecting to an ultimate healing that's coming. He, he speaks of the bread of life and that, that we eat food to try to survive. But the bread of life is coming through Christ that will bring everything to us. He, he uh, meets a woman that was caught in adultery. And back then, if you're caught in adultery, what that means is you deserve death, which seems like a crazy punishment. But that's what was about to happen. And Jesus stands up and says, the person without sin casts the first stone. And everyone in that, rec in that moment recognizes we are all sinful in need of a savior. He, he speaks to a blind man and he heals the blind man. 
And in that, the Pharisees, the religious people, because sometimes the religious people are the worst people, and he, uh, he displays in that moment that the religious people are actually the most blind, and they're missing the Savior before them. He, uh, he heals his friend Lazarus from death to life as a foretelling of what Jesus is going to do. He, he humbles himself, and he washes the feet of disciples as an a, a image of of the Savior being a servant for each of us. And then he calls us to that same lifestyle. This is what has been happening through the Gospel of John. And then we enter this chapter, chapter 16. And, and it's known as Jesus' farewell discourse because he begins to share with the disciples what is coming. He begins to set this up. So Jesus, right here in chapter 16, begins the end in this moment. And it's found in this first. And let's take a look at it. Verse uh, 20. Verse 20 says this. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world will rejoice. Check this out. He says, you will weep, you will mourn, and then he connects it. You will grieve. And what's interesting about this, when Jesus says this, he's connecting something for them to see. And he's preparing them. He says, you will. You're going to weep, mourn. You're going to grieve. You're going to struggle. Because Jesus knows something that's coming for them. See, what's coming, and Jesus is already foretelling of it, is Jesus is going to be wrongfully arrested, put into court, a kangaroo court, where he's wrongfully convicted. He's going to be persecuted and mocked. And then he's going to be put to execution, to death, for nothing he knows this is coming. And that already for us, we know this story, maybe you've heard this before. But, but even stop for a moment and just think. When, when Jesus says this, he's talking to his disciples and he's preparing them for what's to come. And he says, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to weep, mourn, and grieve. Because sometimes we don't really connect this. But the disciples, if you stop and just think for a moment, the disciples, they left everything to follow Jesus. Some of them had good careers. They were entrepreneurs. Some of them had really well-paying jobs. They were tax collectors, jerks, but they made a lot of money. Like all these people left something. They left family. They left everything to follow Jesus. And, and just like them with most of the Jewish society at that time, they believed the Messiah was coming, but they believed the Messiah was coming and he was going to overthrow their political system, that he was going to become the most like, superior leader in their land. And Jesus came and then when he's on the cross, this is when they're going to see things unfold that they weren't prepared for. They're going to lose everything. So much so that a guy named Peter, he denies Jesus three times, right? But then after that, he leaves and he goes back to his old career. Because he lost it all. He doesn't know where to go anymore. He doesn't know where to start. So, so when Jesus is saying this, he's preparing them for what's to come. But this week it hit me as well for us. I believe as well Jesus is speaking to you and he's, he's preparing you. Like in your life you will experience grief, pain. You will lose a loved one you're going to go through life and if you have any relationships at all, the people that you love and respect, some of them are going to hurt you deeply. Even in the church, you're going to experience struggles. And I believe when Jesus is saying this, he's preparing them so that they can be prepared for difficult seasons in the same way I believe you need to hear that as well. 
Because if your faith isn't like firm in the foundation, what happens when struggle comes your way? What happens when difficulty happens? This is so important because those moments can cause us to just retreat and go back. See, anytime we take a step of faith, that's also when enemy begins to attack in your life and you begin to be tested in different ways. So you need to be prepared. You will. If you live life at all, if you have any relationship at all, you will weep, mourn, and grieve. This will happen. But I believe there's this greater story that Jesus begins to share, and he actually does it through imagery. And he shares, um, he shares a story that, that isn't unfamiliar for most people. And it says this, it says, it will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. And if you're a woman and you know that pain, you know what he's talking about. When her child is born, that anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into this world. And like, he shares this illustration, if you will. And for me, I totally get it because I don't know the pain, but I know if it's actually painful, uh, no joy is gonna make me do that again. And some of you ladies have more than one kid and that's crazy. But he, he shares this, but it's not like a new illustration. Like this is said multiple, multiple times in the Old Testament. This same story. Now, it's given in a different way that the Israel nation would say this often of like, man, like pains of labor, God, we're still waiting and searching because they've experienced slavery, persecution, attacks from enemies, wandering in the wilderness, all of these struggles. And they're like, man, but one day we're still holding our hope and your faith in you that your promise will come true. And they're sharing this and they they use it over and over. Isaiah says it and he explains like, just like the pains of labor, God, like we're suffering now, but we're holding on to faith that something is coming. Many say that even the Israel nation, like the Jewish religion, that often they really connected to a relationship with God, even through suffering, like that was part of the journey, which for some of us, we're like, we don't like discomfort. But, but even in the discomfort is where we discover some of our faith and we discover the promises of God. And it's, it's, it, it's in verse 21 where Jesus gives this illustration, this connection, and, and then he gets to verse 22. And, and I want you to see this because this is what I believe right here in verse 22, we see the gospel start to be outlaid. And it says this, so you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. And there's something in this where he says, so you have sorrow now. And I love this because then it's but I. And I think, I think right here is where we start to discover something where, where Jesus is laying something out. And, and I just want you to hear this. The gospel message, the good news, what we call that is this story right here. On our own accord of our own ability, we are continuing to have sorrow and sin in our life. We were in need of a savior. And the gospel of John shares that from the very beginning, the word became flesh for a purpose. Because so us on our own, our sorrow in sin, in need, we're angry, we're divisive, just look around. We see humanity at their own ability continue to hurt, continue to fall, continue to struggle. But then here is the good news. Jesus says it right after, but I, not of your own accord or your own ability, but the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. He came and he would provide a joy. He would provide hope. He'd provide life that only he could give to us. So we, when, he, when this is said, Jesus is connecting, so you have sorrow now. 
And he's speaking to them because remember, they're going to watch everything fall before them. But he says, but I will see you again. A promise of the work of Christ is not finished on the cross, but in the resurrection. And he begins to outlay this for them that they would begin to see. And he, he, he starts to turn this around and he starts to flip some things because it went from sorrow and now all of a sudden he speaks of a joy that's coming. And it happens multiple times in these few four verses where he speaks of you're going to grieve, but that grieve will turn. You're going to struggle, but it's going to change. Even in verse 20, he, he says that your grief will turn to, and the word that we read is wonderful joy. And the translation from the original text for us, the best that English can do, is it says uh, a super extra joy. That's the best way that it can translate it. Because it's, it's not like, I, I got some joy, I'm happy today, like my team won. Like, no, it's, it's something more than that. Even wonderful joy, like that sounds better, but no, it's like this super extra joy. Like it's unexplainable, our language can't even fill that word in fully. And he says, your, your grief, your sorrow, your pain, it's going to transform. And not just a little, it's going to change everything. And he begins to lay this out. And the interesting thing even in this is Jesus is sharing this, this turn from sorrow to joy, from despair to hope. And the interesting thing is even in that day, on that Good Friday, that Easter Sunday even for a little while, they didn't see it yet. So remember the... the the first century, like in that moment, those Christians, that weekend was not a good weekend, not a good look. They were losing everything. But even that, isn't it weird to think that now today in the Christian faith, Easter Sunday, we celebrate. We celebrate when Christ died. They, they were in despair. They lost everything. And now we celebrate that day. Even Friday, we call it good. Good Friday. Because we know a deeper connection to truth of what Christ actually accomplished. So he even turns that. So what looked like despair, what looked like hope was lost, we now can see what Christ has done. And this is what John is displaying in this text. And the thing that's even interesting is, I just want to go back real quick, is verse 20. He, he says this, he says, man, you're going to weep, you're going to mourn over what's going to happen to me. And he says this, but the world is going to rejoice, but you're going to grieve. So this, this is what happened. Now, the interesting thing though, he's speaking to them in that moment and now it's been turned as well because now that weekend, the Christian faith that's Super Bowl week. We celebrate. Like we know what Christ accomplished on the cross for each of us, that he was victorious. So he even turns that and he starts to lay it out. But I believe a deeper truth even is for every Christian, we see this truth. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And then you're going to rejoice and no one can steal that from you. And then verse 23, he says, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the father and he says, directly. It says directly. See, I believe this grief, this struggle that we face, 
so much of it, that joy that he speaks of that will be transformed, it happens because we have direct access to God. Amen. See, back then in their faith, and some, some religions still kind of practice it a little like this, is uh, you would have to like go to the priest to get access to God. So like you'd have to come to me and then I could tell you what to do. Like, hey, go mow my lawn and then God will forgive you of your sin. If someone could, that'd be great. Um, but like, that's more of how it looked back then. You would have to go to the priest. Even so, they, they had a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies and there'd be a curtain that would block that from the people. And only the priest on rare occasions could go into the Holy of Holies where God was. So this is what their faith looked like. There was this separation. And, and then all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna take your grieve. I'm going to take your, your struggles. I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to turn it to a wonderful joy. And then you're going to have direct access to God. So when Jesus is explaining this, he's like, I'm about to go to the cross. And even the imagery here is so interesting because what happens is we're told that Jesus is on the cross. And as he's taking his last breaths, that clouds form. Interesting thing, even secular documents back then in the ancient time, they recognized this, dated to the same time, that something interesting happened in that same time of the clouds and an earthquake that occurred in that moment. But even more than that, then we're told in scripture that the veil in the temple was torn. So Jesus even gives us an example, like a visual for every religious person that you would see in this moment. Even the veil that separated you from God has been dealt with in this moment because of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. You have direct access. You have direct access to the living God. See, I want you to hear this today. Jesus doesn't want you to just know of him. He wants you to know him. And he actually gives us that access that you don't need me or your parents or anyone else to have a relationship with God. You can have that on your own accord. He knows you by name. He knows every detail, every struggle, every stress that you face. And he says, know me and I can turn everything for your good. This is what he's connecting to. This is what he's sharing. This is what he's speaking of. That this veil was torn, that you have direct access. And here's my question for you. Who do you say Jesus is? Because he sets it up. And, and look, it doesn't mean that your life looks perfect and you get every decision right. I mean, just look at the disciples every time. Even in this moment, Peter denies Jesus right after he dies uh, to the cross three times. And then after the fact, he even goes back to his old career. But Jesus meets him at the water where he's fishing his old career. And he calls him and he says, who do you say I am? And he says it three times to give him redemption. To say, hey, you might have failed and stumbled. That's not what it means to follow Christ. I'm calling you to continue to recognize me, have direct access to me, and see everything in your life change this is what he says so who do you say Jesus is see because even in chapter 16 verse 9 Jesus is speaking and he speaks of the sin of the world and sometimes we're like what does that mean like division and hate and sure but what he actually connects it to verse 9 says it specifically it says the sin is actually in the recognition of Jesus and the non-recognition that's what he's calling you to 
He's not calling you to have your life perfect. He's not calling you to have everything sorted. He's calling you to say, who do you say Jesus is? So if you're here today and it's because a friend invited you, can I just tell you right now, your friend loves you like crazy. Because the most loving thing a friend could do is share with you who Jesus is. Because Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. And he calls us, you don't have to do anything other than put your faith, recognize him. The word repent, it doesn't mean like uh, anything other than to change your mind. So to actually recognize Jesus, not just as some guy historically, but recognize Jesus as the gospel of John displays as Lord, as the Messiah, as the one that breaks every chain and gives us direct access. Things we don't deserve, he calls us sons and daughters. So who do you say Jesus is? And this is the opportunity that I wanna offer you. Maybe today is your moment that you're ready to start to put your faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean you still have questions. It doesn't mean you're still kind of wrestling through things, but it does mean you're ready to start that journey. So right now, I'm gonna give you the opportunity just to repeat a prayer after me. And I ask everyone in our church, but right now, would you all, let's just all stand together right now as we pray. And right now, maybe for the very first time, you're gonna say this prayer. But for all of us, no matter where you're at, we're all gonna say this prayer together. And I just wanna encourage you, repeat this prayer after me, but some of you, you're gonna say this for the very first time. There's nothing special in the word itself, but there is something very special when we say these words of truth that enter our mind and ultimately our heart. So right now, would you repeat this prayer after me? Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, I recognize you. I put my faith in you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Give me the strength to follow you. It is because of your work, your grace, and your love that you give me life. God, I put my faith in you. It's in the name of Jesus we say, Amen.